Well, hello, brothers. I miss seeing you in person, but I commend you for continuing to study God's Word so faithfully. Forgive me for not having a coat on today, but it's it's hot in my office, so um, I imagine I'll get worked up here in a minute, and it would not go well with a coat or sweater on like I had. But um, I am delighted to open God's Word with you today. It's the day of the election. You will obviously be seeing this now after the election. And I am uh, I'm thrilled to be able to say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, regardless of what has happened by now in the election when you're seeing this, this sovereign God that we celebrate in, in these chapters in Genesis 42 to 45, it is still true. He is still in control and working all things together for the praise of his glorious grace. Let's open with prayer and we'll dive in to this large chunk of wonderful scripture. Lord Jesus, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come on us today as I teach, as I seek to apply the gospel from Genesis to our lives. I pray the Holy Spirit would come on uh, my brothers as they, as they study with me today and that your word would go down deep into good soil and to bear much fruit. And above all, Lord, we desire to see you. We desire to see you, Jesus, in this passage from the gospel of the Old Testament. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, we are studying the life of Joseph. You have uh, studied him with Barton and and uh, Todd already. You and I have had a study together very early on uh, in Joseph's life, but now we're coming to the climax of the story about Joseph. And what you have seen already, what we have seen by Moses' hand in this text is that that God is sovereign and God is, is, is good in his sovereignty, that he is sovereign in his grace. And when, when we are living in that reality, as Joseph eventually was, you, you know, our, our study of Joseph began kind of rocky in the way he was so proud and, and uh, arrogant in regard to his brothers, but God has now thoroughly broken him. And uh, even in the midst of his brokenness, we, we see the, the confidence emerging in Joseph's life that God is good and he's sovereign all the time. When he's in prison, uh, when he's being falsely accused, we see his confidence that God is sovereignly gracious. And there are three things that come out of that confidence. When someone is confident that God is sovereign in his grace, that he's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It, it determines the way we live. We live faithfully. It also, it also transforms our response even after things get easier. And it inspires, inspires us to love. And it's especially seen in the inspiration to love our enemies. With that in mind, I want us to turn to this this chunk here. It's a it's a large uh, section of Genesis. We won't be able to read every verse. It's chapters forty two to forty five. 
But I want us to see in this, in this section that, that we find here the secret to a life well lived. Isn't that what we all want? We want, we want a legacy of a life well lived. One that we can leave behind to our children, our grandchildren, and they would say, yes, that's the way I want to walk. We also want to leave behind fruit, fruit born in people's lives. And here is, here is the secret. It's the way Joseph lives in his confidence in a sovereignly gracious God, but it's, it's carried out in a very heroic and remarkable way. We can read in verse uh, 1 of chapter 42, just to get the scene in front of us, or the big idea of the story. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, remember this is Joseph's father, Jacob, he said, uh, why do you look at one another? Why are you just sitting around here? He said, behold, I have heard there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was great in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said? Uh, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We're honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they said, we are your servants. We're 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. Now, the point I want to make with you today from this section of Scripture is that confidence in the sovereign grace of God leads us to love boldly. Confidence in the sovereign grace of God leads us to love boldly. I uh, am one of my great heroes is a man named Dr. Robert G. Rayburn, who started Covenant Seminary and Covenant College. And, and uh, Dr. Rayburn was, was, uh, went through many, many trials in his life. He, he volunteered for, for two wars, the 
World War II and, and Korea. He was a volunteer, volunteered as a chaplain. He served behind enemy lines. Uh, Dr. Rayburn did many daring things in the, in the military as a chaplain. And he served um, uh, churches uh, that were uh, troubled. He was in a troubled denomination. He was falsely accused. He, 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 he had to start over as the head of a college and of a seminary, and he, he shepherded those fledgling institutions into, into great institutions. He battled cancer for the last number of years of his life. And I, I once asked one of his colleagues, I, I said, what do you think is the secret to Dr. Rayburn's life? How could that man live and love so boldly? How could he have such, how, how could he have such grit and determination and perseverance? He did some hard things in life. He, 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 he forgave people. He pursued people who did not love him. Well, what is the secret to his life in my one of his colleagues said he had faith. You know, now I was a young man when I heard that, and I thought, oh, what, a, what a weak answer. There's got to be something more profound than that, than he just had faith. But he went on to explain he had faith in a, in a God who is good and sovereign. And no matter what happened, even if those institutions failed, God would still be sovereign. The secret to a life well lived especially one that is well-lived in loving boldly. The secret is to trust in a sovereignly gracious God. It leads us to love boldly. Now, what do I mean by loving boldly? And before I get to these, these, uh, these passages uh, in, uh, specifically, I want, to, I want to define that. I get that term from... Uh, Dr. Dan Allender, who along with Tremper Longman wrote a book that's you know, great help to me and to many others. It's just called Bold Love. The subtitle is something like How to Love, uh, How to Love the Fool, uh, the Wicked Person, and the Normal Sinner. His thesis is, is based on, on Proverbs, that Proverbs that categorizes uh, people in, in three camps where we're normal sinners, we're wicked sinners or we're foolish sinners. We can be, we can, we can vacillate in those, but on the whole, there's a pattern. And if God is love, the thesis of the book is, if God, and it's certainly the true in the Bible, that if God is love, we don't have a choice to turn love on and off relative to whether one is a fool or whether one is a normal sinner or one is wicked. We must love every category. But the form the fashion of that love will change according to that person. We'll love them differently. Love them ultimately for the sake of their doing well as one who comes under the cross of Christ. So Dan Allender uh, says that, that bold love is this. It's courageously setting aside our personal agenda to move humbly into the world of others with their well-being in view, willing to risk further pain in our souls in order to be an aroma of life to some and an aroma of death to others. What we see here in, in Joseph's loving his brothers is bold love for wicked people. 
These are people who have done wicked things, evil things to Joseph, to other people, and, and to their father. They cannot be loved as normal sinners, even mere fools. You just didn't understand what they were doing. They were calculated in their evil. And here was the opportunity, if there was going to be an opportunity for their being restored in their relationship and being restored to God, Joseph had to take action. Joseph had to have the right attitudes in order to love them boldly. Those are the two points I'm, I'm going to have in, in, this, in this lesson, filling out that proposition that we love boldly by, by believing in a sovereignly gracious God, and that's there are certain actions that are required and there are certain attitudes required, and we find them in the life of Joseph. What are those actions required in order to love boldly? Well, there are two uh, large classifications of those actions that we find in the first part of the story, and it is giving the gift of defeat and giving the opportunity to repent. Giving the gift of defeat and giving the opportunity to repent. Now, let me, let me get the evil of these brothers before you uh, a little bit so that we can appreciate these points. You know, sometimes we can become so accustomed to a story that uh, it, it ceases to, 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 to have its shock value. It ceases to, 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 we cease to take it as seriously as we ought. And so when I say that, that, that Joseph's brothers were wicked, that they were evil, it might take a time for that to register to, with us because we say, hey, they just threw old Joseph in a well, they sold him into slavery, and well, you know, that's how brothers are. No, that's, it's, it's wicked. They did it with malice aforethought. They they were first they were going to kill him, if you remember. And then then Judah piped up and said, uh, "No, you know, effectively that's too good for him. Let's sell him into slavery." So he's tortured for the rest of his life. And then let's lie to his to our father, and just tell him he was killed by an animal. Let's make up a lie. Dan Allender uh, tells a story in this book, Bold Love, about someone he uh, counseled once. It's a young woman whose father was, could not be described in any way other than evil. Her father tortured her. He, her father uh, abused her in every imaginable way. He says that on one occasion, uh, in order to teach her a lesson, he put her on a chair out under a tree. He put a noose around her neck. And he said, I'm gonna teach you perseverance and I'm gonna teach you a lesson about keeping your balance and obeying. And if you disobey, if you lose your balance, you lose your concentration, you fail to persevere, you'll fall off this chair and hang yourself. She was terrified, can you imagine that? All day long for hours. Finally, her, her knees buckled. She couldn't hold herself up any longer and she fell terrified that she was soon going to breathe her last only to find out that he had played a cruel trick and fashioned the knot in such a way that it slowly let her down to the ground. That is evil. 
is no more evil than what was done to Joseph. And now Joseph pursues in bold love these evil, wicked brothers. It's a lesson for us. Because in our lives we have someone imagined right now, someone that came to, came to mind, maybe someone who's done wickedness to you or to a loved one or someone that you know about. And you say, if I ever get the chance, if they're ever put on that chair, I'll kick the chair out from under them. Joseph, when he could have kicked the chair out from under his brothers and got revenge, Joseph loved these brothers because he believed in a sovereignly gracious God. And he started loving them this way. Bold love required giving them the gift of defeat. And that, that uh, gift of defeat involved four things. First of all, in giving the gift of defeat, he had to test their motives. That's why he, he concealed, he withheld his identity. Now, there's controversy over whether or not this is the, this is the right thing to do. That, uh, is this a Christian thing? Is this a believing thing to do? Well, we're not commending every single detail of Joseph's life. The Bible doesn't make a commentary on that. It leaves us to, to evaluate that by the results. Joseph didn't overtly lie to his brothers. He just didn't tell them everything all at once. And, and, and he, he didn't let them know that he knew the answers to some of their questions. And, and why was he doing that? Why was he concealing his identity for a time? Because he had to test their motives. Anybody can be on their good behavior for a while. These brothers could have put on a good show for a while, but he had to test is there any hope for these wicked brothers? Or will they, be, will they be set free to do this kind of thing to somebody else? The second thing he did was he introduced disequilibrium into their lives. He enhanced their insecurity. They're already nervous coming to him as the second most powerful man in the world. But he introduced disequilibrium in their lives to see if they would if they would uh, if they would feel guilt if they would if they would if they were if they had a conscience the third thing he did was to is to shower on them undeserved grace he, so he he withheld his identity introduced uh, insecurity in their lives by saying you're spies, you're you're guilty, you have you have uh, you have uh, 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 you, you have uh, dishonest motives. But then he 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 showered on them undeserved grace. He gave their money back. Would they? Do they have a conscience? Are they? Are they? Will they? Um, Will they recognize, do they, are they capable of feeling shame? Or they just take the money, thieves that they are, and just go with it. And then he demanded risk. Do you have, a, do you have another brother? Yes, Benjamin the youngest. He's our father's precious child. We've got to bring him back. 
Oh, no, our father will die if, if he loses Benjamin. Well, you've got to leave here, leave someone here in earnest that would become Simeon. And um, you go get your brother. Just asking, do they, are, are they capable of love? Are they capable of, are, will they feel that tension? Or will they say, sure, we'll go get the brother. We'll drag him up here. We don't care if we lose another brother. It's from the other side of the family anyway. We never liked that mother-in-law anyway. I mean, that, uh, half, that stepmother anyway. And so what, did, what happened? Well, it worked in God's sovereignty. And now later in the story, it's, it's important to notice this, that, that, that it's, it's revealed that Joseph, what Joseph is doing is because of love. You know, when, when Joseph sees his brothers, when he engages with them, verse 24, for instance, chapter 42, he, he turns away and weeps. He's doing what he's doing because he loves. He wants to see his family restored. He does understand that through this family, the, the Messiah is supposed to come. And this story is being told for future generations of Israelites that, who will be tempted to, who will be battling each other and tear their nation apart. And, and it's, it's, it's Moses writing about the secret to real unity. It is, it is to believe in the sovereignty of God and the sovereign grace of God and, and to pursue each other in, in bold love. Joseph gives away that, that, real, that real motivation of love. He gives them, by giving them the gift of defeat, he gives them the opportunity to repent. What happens? He, 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 he tests their motives, and what do they do? They feel guilty. This is happening to us, he says, they say. Judah says, this is happening to us because of what we did to our brother. They have a conscience. It's, it's like it's capable of feeling Guilty, they can tell the truth. Yes, we have a father, we have 12 brothers, one of them is gone, one is young. He's tell, they tell the truth. They, they, and when he puts their money back in their, in their bags, what is happening to Why is God doing this to us? They're able to feel shame. And when they go back and tell their they, they, they first of all, they're moved. They're, we can't do this to our father, they tell Joseph. We, they feel love. They feel love for their father. They're genuinely concerned for their father. They hadn't been when Joseph knew them. Because of this risk that he demands from Benjamin, it, 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 it causes their love to be flushed out. There seems to be the indication of repentance. There is hope for restoration. There's the hope of restoration of their relationship. Now let me make a, another theological point here that's important before we go much farther. Is oh well, you know I, I thought the Bible I thought the Bible teaches us to forgive unconditionally. When they came back, he should have just said, "Oh, I forgive you, no problem." God meant it for evil. I mean, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. No problem. You're forgiven. All is forgiven. That's not what the Bible teaches about forgiveness. Now, now forgiveness is is. Uh, Forgiveness in the Bible is the restoration, the, the, the return of normalcy to a relationship. Withholding forgiveness is not the same thing as harboring bitterness. 
That's never allowed. We're always and only to love. But we're not all, we're not at the same time ordered to pretend like everything is just fine. Um, to say that, uh, you know, pain is unimportant. What you've did to me, to anyone else, it's unimportant. Let's just sweep it away. It's not the way God deals with evil. At the same time, God doesn't say either that, uh, you know, you need to, as soon as you can forgive yourself and, and, and feel comfortable, then you can forgive. No, that, that denies sacrifice. Love, bold love and forgiveness requires the acknowledgement of the reality of pain and the embracing of sacrifice, just as God had to do for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't call our sin anything other than what it is. His death on the cross and his suffering separation from the Father acknowledged the pain of what our sin did to him. And then, he, But he sacrificed in order to bring us to God. And, and he taught on earth, Luke chapter 17, when, when Peter asked him, how often should I, I, should, how often should I forgive my, my brother? Jesus didn't merely say up to 70 times seven, just forgive him. Every time, every single time he comes back, just forgive him. No, Jesus said this, take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespasses against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he trespasses against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day turns again to you, repents, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. That is, <laughs> that is conditional forgiveness, the same way we've been forgiven. We, God doesn't just sweep our sins under the rug. He says, repent, and you will be saved. Turn to me. So rebuke your brother, and if he repents... Restore the relationship to normal. Now, if he doesn't repent, don't be bitter. Don't be passive aggressive. Don't try to do harm to him. Continue to love him, even with the gift of defeat, putting up boundaries. Putting up conditions to change behavior, but all in the, for the sake of love. Joseph did. Good indication that it's working because of the way they responded. But then notice the attitudes that are required for this kind of bold love. Turn to chapter 45, verses four and five. After, after they come back with Benjamin, after they tell him about the, the, the money left in their sacks and the gold and the silver cup, and after they come back with Benjamin, after Judah puts himself in the, in the place of Benjamin and he says, uh, you, you, you know, if you're not going to let Benjamin go back, then you've got, to you've got to take my life. Judah, the Judah, the one who, who, who was the most wicked of all. Judah, the one who, who treated his daughter-in-law like a prostitute. Judah is the one who rises out of this, this bold love and is willing to lay down his life 
in the place of his little brother, little half-brother. Reuben wasn't. Reuben is the one you know who said, uh, let's just throw him in the well and he was going to come back and save him the next day. Reuben is the one who said, I told you this would happen. And Reuben never fares very, he's not, a, he's not a bright star. He's a rapist himself. And um, Reuben, Reuben says, you know, if, if Benjamin doesn't come back, then well, he can kill my sons. But not Judah, Judah. He says, take my life. And when Joseph observes all of that, verses four and five, this happens. I am Joseph, verse three. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. You can imagine, they're speechless. Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. They came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Is that not amazing? It is the amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ, if it's ever seen anywhere. Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they're doing. Do not be angry with yourselves because you saw me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Verses 21 to 24. Look there as well. The sons of Israel did so. That is, they went back, got their father, brought him back to Egypt. Can you imagine the reunion? Joseph, uh, Jacob's heart nearly stopped when they told him that Joseph was alive. It was as if he had heard that he had been raised from the dead. Sons of Israel did so. They brought their father back, and Joseph gave them wagons, according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. Remember, Joseph was sold for 22 shekels. To his father, he sent as follows, the 10 donkeys loaded with good things and so forth. So Joseph sends them on their way back to, to get their father and he tells them, do not quarrel on the way. It's a message that Moses is inserting here too for the people of Israel and for us. And bold love and the sovereign grace of God means that if we are the recipients of God's grace and he is willing to reconcile with us, there is no one with whom we should be unwilling to reconcile. Do not quarrel. Good message to us after the election. But what are the attitudes that characterize this bold love? I, I want you to just take note of, of uh, a few things here. Number one is patience. Uh, Joseph didn't do any of this in a hurry. Joseph was patient while he tested their motives, while he waited for them to respond, while they went and came back. He was patient, patiently what? Waiting for the Holy Spirit to do his work. We must be patient as we, as we put roadblocks in the way of evil people in order to lead them to repentance or put boundaries on, 
on the actions of fools to lead them to repentance. We need to be patient, waiting for the Holy Spirit. That, that patience also means I, I must die to myself and be willing to take the risk of living with an uncomfortable situation, waiting for the Holy Spirit to do his work. The second thing is, and the second attitude is security. Notice, notice uh, Joseph's security takes several forms. It, his security takes the form of humility and heroism and hope. He is secure in his theology that God is sovereign in his grace. That comes out in his humility, which is not weakness. Joseph is not weak. Joseph instead shows humility is acknowledging that God is the giver of all things. God is in charge. It also means, humility means setting the bar for repentance low. When we say that, that you should forgive as oft as your brother repents, that means any sign of his or her turning should be greeted with eager reconciliation. How do I get that from the text? Because Joseph's brothers never clearly apologized to Joseph, not until after he was dead and they feared for their lives. They acknowledged their guilt uh, among themselves. God's spirit took note of it and told it to Moses, but maybe Joseph never knew about it. But as soon as they acted like they wanted a renewed relationship, he, he welcomed them. Second aspect of security comes out in his heroism. His willingness to endure, his willingness to say when they made that turn, you know, he could have, he could have wrenched a lot of torment out of them. He could have, he, he could have said, uh, I don't care if you beat up yourself. I don't care if you blame yourselves. Why don't you go into a, a, a why don't you go into the, into the desert there and, and beat yourself for days on end for what you did to me. No, don't be, don't be mean to yourselves. What you intended for evil, God meant for good. What is that but the, the image of Christ taking our sins on himself, becoming sin in our place? Believing in the sovereignty of God's grace as Jesus did that for me. Oh my goodness, there's no sin in, that, that can ever be done to me that can equal what I've done to the Lord. And thirdly, security takes the form of hope. Joseph never lost hope, not, not just wishful thinking, but Joseph was always convinced in his heart of hearts that what had been revealed to his great-grandfather, Abraham, that God would bring the Messiah through their line. He never lost fact of that. Even when he's sitting in the prison, when he's, when he's falsely accused, when, when he's... When he's, uh, when he's preparing for famine, when he's going through the famine, when, when, there's, when, there's, uh, when he hasn't seen his brothers on the horizon, thinks his father is gone, he never loses hope. God is somehow going to accomplish his redemption, and I'm a part of that plan. You and I must view ourselves in, in God's redemptive plan and, and act with hope, not despair. And so how did, Mo, how did Joseph uh, demonstrate that? He... He demonstrated it with, with giving instructions that his, that his body not be 
put in a in in a uh, in a pyramid somewhere but that his bones would be preserved because he knew his people were going to the promised land and he wanted to go with them even if it was through a coffin and god demonstrates that he is one in whom there is hope because just think about what happened to these worst offending brothers simeon uh, Simeon the is uh, was a was a um, I think I said earlier that uh, Reuben was a rapist. So Simeon raped his his half sister. But Simeon later joins with Judah uh, in the conquest, the tribe of Simeon. And Reuben is uh, is the one who who just. Uh, you know, showed himself to be a great coward and then willing to sacrifice his sons uh, for Benjamin. No sacrifice, not going to make any personal sacrifice. But Reuben's descendants were those who settled Perea. And Perea uh, is, is that site of the launching of Gentile mission. When Jesus sent 70 missionaries out of Perea, Perea was the was the was mixed territory. It was where it's 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 where the the first outreach to Gentiles really was. And and then Judah. As I said before, the whole book of Genesis is about Judah. The redemption of Judah. The lowest, worst offender in the in the book of Genesis is one not only whom God redeems and turns his heart in such a way that he is willing to die for his half-brother and die before he sees his father's heart broken again. The one who acknowledged, that who confessed on behalf of all of his brothers, we are guilty. God is the one who did this work in his heart and, and redeemed him to be the ancestral father of Jesus, Judah. And it never would have been seen had Joseph not loved boldly. You want to live life well? You want to leave the legacy of a life well lived? then get the sovereignty of God's grace squarely before your eyes. Put your faith in that. And then love boldly. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, please remind us of your mercy. Convince us of your sovereign grace that we might love boldly in a way that you get a name for yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.